Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 9, uh, which is where we left off last week. And so in our series, Emmanuel, uh, this Christmas season, uh, we've been looking at what John, a disciple of Jesus, tells us about who Jesus is in John chapter 1. Before we get there, um, we have all of these uh, phrases in the English language that we use uh, that we often get wrong. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, been in a conversation with someone used the word irregardless, and you're like, ah, I'm not sure that's a word. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not actually sure what's going on in this conversation. But we have a few other ones. Um, like, have you ever heard somebody say, nip it in the butt? Right? Uh, which I don't know what that means. Uh, the phrase is supposed to be nip it in the bud, uh, which uh, obviously is a horticulture analogy phrase uh, where you're cutting something off before it has the opportunity to fully bloom. Or, or, or this one, uh, you ever heard someone say that they experienced a change in their life and they did a 360, right? And you're like, well, uh, actually, that just means you turn completely around and you're still heading in the same direction. You know what I mean? The actual phrase would be do a 180. Or uh, maybe a, a borrowed phrase, it's not English, but we use it all the time, mano a mano, right? What do we think that means? Man to man. It actually means hand to hand. Uh, and so we use that incorrectly all the time, right? What we're going to see in John chapter 1 is a phrase that John, a disciple of Jesus, uses to describe Jesus that we often don't fully understand, and sometimes uh, we don't, uh, or we may misuse because we don't understand the meaning of it. So if you got a Bible, John chapter 1 verse 9 is right where we were last week, talking about Jesus as the true light. Verse 9, it says, Jesus is the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Now that phrase, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, is packed with meaning. We're not going to talk about that phrase this week, but Adam Morris is going to explain that more to you next week. So we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John has told us all the way through his first chapter that Jesus is the Word, that he's the spoken revelation of who God himself is, that Jesus is the life, that the life that we were designed for is found completely in Jesus. He's told us that Jesus is the light, that he came to illuminate the darkness, to show us how, can we, we, how we can be connected in a relationship with God. And now in verse 14, John calls Jesus the only son from the Father. This is a title given to Jesus that we hear all the time, Perhaps one that we use all the time, but one that we might not be fully aware of its meaning. Do we actually know what the Bible means when it says that Jesus is the only son from the Father? A couple of things that we know John does not mean. First, he does not mean that Jesus is a biological son. 
right? Jason actually went over this a couple of weeks ago, that this is not uh, one of the Greek or Roman myths where one of the little G gods would come down to try to have a great time with some humans. That's not what's going on here, right? We also know that Jesus is not created. John's already told us that earlier in his gospel. He already told us that Jesus existed in the beginning, that he wasn't created, but that he is the one who was actively involved in creating. And so we know when John uses this phrase, the only son, he, he, he doesn't mean that uh, Jesus was born or birthed uh, in uh, some sort of kind of crazy relationship between God and Mary. He also doesn't mean that Jesus was created. Jesus always existed. So what does he mean? What does he mean by this phrase, the only son? Well, to understand that, the best way for us to unpack that is actually to look at three Old Testament characters. Three characters that you're familiar with, with the Old Testament, that can give us some clues to the full meaning of what it means that Jesus is the only son sent from the Father. The first character is Adam. Adam. So if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write that down. Just number one, Adam. As we've seen already in John chapter one, John wants us to think of what chapter in the Bible? Genesis chapter one, right? In the beginning, he's starting in the same way. And so he's already getting our wheels turning about creation. Well, in creation, the first of God's creation, first person that God creates is a guy called Adam, right? Adam is the first human created by God, and we find out that Adam and Eve are created in God's image. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, this idea of being created in the image of God uh, is actually debated in a lot of ways, but it's one of the most significant phrases in all the Scripture. It means that people, men and women, are created by God, unique from the rest of creation, and to represent God, his character, and his goodness to God's creation. So part of being a human is reflecting God's glory or representing God to all of his creation. That's what Adam was created to do as an image bearer. And understanding people as image bearers is vital to understanding who we are and who God created us to be. And so Adam is the first image bearer. And God gives to these first image bearer, Adam, and to Eve, his wife, a mission to do what? You guys remember from the text? To multiply and fill the earth. What's the idea? God's saying, hey, I'm entrusting you with the responsibility to fill this place, my created world, with more and more image bears, more and more people that represent me here that reflect my glory and goodness. But what we find out in Genesis chapter three is that Adam falls short. That Adam, instead of representing God to his creation, Adam disobeys God. And this thing called sin enters the world. And sin mars the image of God in Adam and subsequently all people. Uh, it's kind of like, you, you ever been to the fair? Have you ever been to the fair? I love going to the fair, right? Get, get on a ride uh, that was like on the interstate just a couple hours before. You know what I mean? Assembled, assembled some, by some uh, less than trustworthy folks. You know what I mean? It's always like taking your life into your own hands. But have you ever been to one of those uh, uh, fun, house, fun houses? Right? It, it makes you want to throw up, right? I mean, it's just like mirrors everywhere, but all the mirrors are distorted in different ways. And so you kind of see a reflection of yourself and uh, you're like, I hope my body doesn't look like that to other people. If it does, then I got to hit the gym. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's not an accurate reflection of who you are. 
And so to understand what happens when sin enters the world is it's kind of like God's creation becomes one of those fun houses full of distorted mirrors everywhere where there's people all over the place who are created to be image bearers, but who aren't accurately reflecting the image of God. It's all distorted. So, but Jesus shows up on the scene, the only son of God, the true son sent from the father. And Jesus, by the title of the son of God, John is saying, this is the one who rightly reflects the image of God. In fact, Paul agrees. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Saying Jesus is the one who properly reflects who God the Father is. The writer of Hebrews also agrees, right? Hebrews chapter 1, this is the way he starts uh, uh, the book of Hebrews, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed as the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is, this is Jesus, he's saying, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Paul says Jesus is the perfect image bearer, reflecting who God is. Writer Hebrews says, yeah, Jesus is actually the exact imprint of the very nature of God. It's a carbon copy of who God is on display for all of us to see. So when John uses the phrase, the only son, here's what he means. In character number one, he means the true son of God is the one who rightly reflects the image of God. This title of the son of God is given to the one who rightly reflects the image of God. That's Jesus. So let's back up. Verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, do you understand the power of what John is saying here? He's saying Adam's problem is our problem as well. That Jesus, the actual image bearer, the true son, showed up in the world and the world that was supposed to be full of image bearers, but looks more like the fair fun house, didn't even recognize a real image bearer. That we're so distant from who God created us to be that when the true son, the image bearer of God showed up on the scene, we're all looking around like, huh, who's this? So the force of that statement should be a challenge to us that we could be so far from who we were created to be that we wouldn't even recognize it. So then when John says that Jesus is the only son from the father, the true son, he is saying Jesus is the new and better Adam. The new and better image bearer. The one who rightly reflects the image of God. Character number two, the people of Israel. So this first character of Adam, this first son of God, shows us that Jesus came as the true image bearer. The second one is the people of Israel. God also calls the people of Israel his firstborn son. 
Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, says to Moses, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Now, to understand this concept, we've got to back up even further than the Exodus, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Something incredibly significant happens in Genesis chapter 12. God speaks to this guy named Abram. And God says to Abram, you can check it out, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God chooses this guy, Abram. He's going to bless him with a new land and a great nation and a great name. Now, who's the great nation? That's the people of Israel, right? So their origin story starts with Abram, who later becomes Abraham. And these are going to be a people that God's going to raise up. He's going to bless them greatly. For what purpose? So that they could be a blessing to all the families of the earth. This is who God designed his people to be. And so they, just like Adam, had a much bigger purpose than just themselves. They had this massive purpose of being the blessed people of God who then would bless the rest of the earth. But also just like Adam, the people of Israel fell short. Israel was marked by hardness of heart that prevented them from fully becoming the people that God intended for them to be. They became inwardly focused. They didn't live out their calling to be a blessing to all the nations. So now let's back up again. Verse 11. Jesus comes on the scene, and what does it say about the people of Israel? He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And so just like a world of image bearers didn't recognize a true image bearer, the people of Israel who were supposed to be chosen by God, blessed to be a blessing, sent out on God's mission in the earth, did not recognize the son when he showed up. Their hearts were so hardened, their minds were so darkened, and they were so far off of their purpose and their mission that they didn't see Jesus for who he truly was. And so when John says that Jesus is the only son, He means that Jesus is the true Israel, the true firstborn. He's the only son who represents God rightly to the rest of the world, that he is the one whom God is going to use to bless all the families or all the peoples of the earth. And so the true son is the one who is on a mission to bless all the families of the earth. There's a lot of meaning packed in this one little phrase, right? So Jesus, the true son, rightly reflects God's glory, right? It's an image bearer. And Jesus, the true son, fulfills God's mission to bless the entire world. The true son is not inwardly focused. The true son is not self-consumed. The true son is not given to hardness of the heart. The true son is not just about his own people. The true son knows that blessing comes so that we could continue to be a blessing. So this is the first two characters, right? Adam, we learn that Jesus is the true son who came to reflect the image of God. The people of Israel, we learn that Jesus is the one who came on a mission to bless all the families of the earth. Then there's one more character in the scripture that God calls his son. Number three, that's David. Now you might remember David. It's a man after God's own heart. David was chosen to be king of all of Israel. 
In Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, says this, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, this is David writing, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So what David says of himself is that the Lord has called him his son as the king of Israel. He was chosen to establish the kingdom of Israel, not because, if you remember the story, his outward might, but because of what? His heart, right? And what the scripture says of David, the king, is that he was a man after God's own heart. So in the story of the scripture, God makes a covenant with David. He says that he will build David a great house and that a descendant of David will rule eternally, a forever king on a forever throne. The line of David then is going to be the source of hope for God's people. Now, there's a problem, right? Is that David falls short. David's heart, instead of being after God by the end of his life, is starting to chase after a variety of other things. And the problem gets worse because as as David's line of descendants of kings of Israel continues and continues and continues, they get worse and worse and worse. And so instead of David's descendants being people who are restoring the kingdom of God to its glory and majesty, they become a source of actually its downfall. There's not a good enough king among the people of David until Jesus shows up on the scene as the only son from the father in the line of David. And he is Jesus, the only son, rightly leading people back to God under his rule and reign. He is the king that was promised to David, the forever king on the forever throne. This is what Paul says, Romans chapter uh, one, the way he starts his letter to the Roman church. Check this out. Verse one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, What's the gospel of God? Well, that's what he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning who? His son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So what did Paul just say? He just said, Jesus the son came on the scene bringing good news of great joy. And who is he? He's the descendant of David, the king that we've all been waiting for. So we see that Jesus, the true son, is what? Reflects the image of God. Jesus, the true son, is on a mission to bless the ends of the earth, all the peoples of the earth. And then Jesus, the true son, is the descendant of David who establishes God's eternal kingdom. Now, God's kingdom is where God rules and reigns. This kingdom is not geographic. It is made up of people who, like David, are a people after God's own heart. God's kingdom doesn't grow from conquest, political takeovers, or coups. God's kingdom grows when people confess that Jesus is Lord and have hearts that are capable of loving God and loving their neighbors. So how do we get hearts that are after God's own heart as citizens of God's own kingdom? Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Here, John is foreshadowing an interaction that he's going to explain just a couple uh, chapters later, where Jesus meets with Nicodemus. 
And what does Jesus say to Nicodemus in John 3, chapter 3? Jesus answered him, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of God, not of blood, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. And so when John tells us that Jesus is the true son, he is saying Jesus is the true king who's come to change our hearts. And the way that he's going to change our hearts is not through political conquest. The way he's going to change our hearts is through a brand new birth. He's going to give you and I hearts that love God and love our neighbor. A new birth. So then today, I would imagine there's just two groups of people here. Some of us who need new hearts, who need to be born again. The reality that we see all the way through the scripture is not a knowledge problem. God's people know God's law. It's not a worship problem. God's people know the right practices to engage in worship. The problem that we see is a heart problem. And that heart problem extends from the pages of Scripture to each and every single one of us. That our problem is the same problem that Adam had, and our problem is the same problem that the people of Israel had, and our problem is the same problem that David had. That we have hearts that are incapable of loving God rightly. And the invitation of Jesus is, John says, very simply, those who would believe in him, who would call on his name, would be brought in as children. Or in John chapter 3, right? That if we would what believe in him, that we would be given brand new hearts. And so I wonder today if perhaps some of us here, today is the day where you come to Jesus and you go, what I need is a new heart. I fall short as an image bearer. I fall short as a missionary being a blessing to all the peoples. And I definitely fall short as a man or woman after God's own heart. And what I need is Jesus to give me a new heart that I might be born again. And then for some of us who are believers or followers of Jesus who have been born again, this text is an important reminder for us that you have been reborn as a son or a daughter for more than just forgiveness of sins. You need forgiveness of sins, 100%. But that is not the end of the story. If we have embraced belonging to the family of God, or if we have been embraced by God as sons and daughters of the king, right? Then shouldn't we look more and more like Jesus? And so this Christmas season, maybe this text is a reminder for each one of us that just as the only son is the perfect image bearer, we've been called as image bearers as well that our character would continue to conform to the pattern of Jesus, that we would be men and women as sons and daughters of God who look more and more like the only son, the true son from the Father. And 
if the only son is a missionary sent on God's mission to be a blessing to all the families or all the people of the earth, then isn't this text a reminder for us as well? That part of being in the family of God, being included as children, being given new hearts is what? That we would recognize that we've been blessed so that we can be a blessing. Isn't that what was so amazing about Hope for Christmas yesterday? So perhaps for some of us, God is calling us further into mission to embrace our identity as sent ones just like Jesus. And then finally, it's amazing. You know what the scripture refers to us as a kingdom of priests? That God has called us into his family as children in order so that we could be a people who not only belong to his kingdom, but who have hearts fully alive for God. That we would be a people, citizens of a kingdom who would radically follow Jesus the king. And I wonder today if perhaps some of us here, followers of Jesus, what we need to hear and be reminded of is we're not the king. Jesus is the king. And perhaps for you today is a day of surrendering anew. Saying, man, this Christmas season is about so much more than just me. Jesus, how can I follow you rightly? You, the true king, how can I surrender to you today? So perhaps some of us need to, come in faith, need to come to faith in Christ today. That we have a heart problem and we need a new one. So the invitation for you would be, man, come to Jesus and allow him to give you a new heart. And then perhaps for some of us who are followers of Jesus, today spurns us on to be more and more like Jesus as image bearers, to be more and more, uh, to join Jesus in his mission in the world, and to surrender as Jesus, the true King. Jesus, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.